telecom companies settle on 911 violations totaling over $6 million. NAB and state broadcaster associations join REC in opposing mandatory disaster reporting and dingers for broadcasters who did not file on time. REC, FCC Today, BG Bradley. This is FCC Today, the podcast for Friday, December 17, 2021. The Enforcement Bureau has settled five investigations related to 911 failures, totaling to more than $6 million. AT&T will pay $460,000 to settle two investigations, including one where the company failed to notify potentially affected 911 call centers during a 911 outage on September 28, 2020. And in another case that involved 911 calls not including the number and location information, Verizon will pay $274,000 for rules violations related to a 911 failure on May 7, 2020. Intrado will pay $1.75 million related to a September 28, 2020 outage, including the timely notification to 911 call centers about the outage. And the big mega dinger goes to Lumen Technologies, also known as CenturyLink, who agreed to pay $3.8 million in connection with the September 28, 2020 911 outage and their failure to notify 911 call centers of the outage. As part of these settlements, all of these providers will be subject to compliance plans. In an unrelated matter, the Enforcement Bureau also reached a settlement for $100,000 with Newphone Wireless LLC to resolve an investigation that Newphone violated the Commission's lifeline service rules by requesting and or receiving support from the Universal Service Fund for subscribers that were not eligible for lifeline services. In addition to the settlement, Newphone also has to establish a compliance plan in accordance with the consent decree. Broadcasters are speaking out against mandatory disaster reporting. Earlier this week, we reported that REC Networks and National Public Radio came out against a proposed requirement that individual broadcast stations be required to report their daily status to the Commission's Disaster Information Reporting System, citing various issues. Most importantly, the need to provide information to the general public comes first. REC and NPR were joined by the National Association of Broadcasters, the State Broadcasters Associations, and in separate joint comments by the Colorado and Puerto Rico Broadcasters Associations. NAB estimates that there are several thousands of radio stations that have five or fewer employees and understands that some of these stations chose not to participate in DERS because the station staff is already stretched to respond to the emergency. They just don't have time to file in DERS. NAB also joined with REC on calling for DERS to be more mobile-friendly. In their comments, DirecTV requested clarity on how any DERS reporting requirement would apply to direct broadcast satellite providers. While DirecTV can provide information on uplink facilities in the affected areas, they would not be able to provide any information on customers' receive-only equipment. Reply comments in the Disaster Resiliency Proceeding, PS Docket 21-346, are due on January 14, 2022. The Audio Division has denied a petition 
for a declaratory ruling requested by Urban One Broadcasting Network, LLC, former permittee of WURB, Cross City, Florida. In their petition, Urban One requested that the commission reinstate their forfeited construction permit and to remove the re-auctioned permit from auction 109. The construction permit that was originally granted to Alex Media in auction 91 from 2011 had an expiration date of 2014. The construction permit was assigned to Urban One in March 2013. Urban One filed a modification to change the transmitter site. That modification was met with an informal objection that claimed that the permit should be denied because it did not comply with FCC rules and Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act. Urban One claimed that the site qualified for an exemption from Section 106 on the basis that the structure would be temporary. A request for tolling was denied. The informal objection was granted in part, and Urban One was given 30 days to file a modification, but no additional time was added to the construction permit. Urban One also claims that they would have been an eligible entity under the Commission's Promoting Diversification of Ownership in the Broadcast Services Policy, a policy that was vacated by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit on July 7, 2011. In the summer of 2014, Urban One filed a petition challenging the tolling decision and a petition for reconsideration on the modification dismissal. Urban One requested at the time that the commission quickly act to reinstate the eligible entity policy and as a part of that policy, allow for the construction permit to be reinstated with a full 36 months to build. After denial on review and reconsideration, Urban One took the matter to the D.C. Circuit Court by filing a petition for review. In the 2010-2014 Quadrennial Second Report and Order, which came out in August 2016, the FCC reinstated the eligible entity definition. On December 1, 2016, the new policy went into effect. Subsequently, on December 19, 2016, Urban One filed a petition to reinstate based on the reinstatement of the eligible entity policy. On August 11, 2017, the Court of Appeals dismissed Urban One's petition for lack of prosecution. The allotment was added back into inventory for Auction 106, which was canceled due to COVID-19. It was later offered in Auction 109 and was awarded to Circuit Works for $46,000, adjusted to $34,500. The FCC has reduced a $7,000 dinger for DuPonte Communications, LLC, licensee of FM translator W276DF, Westerly, Rhode Island. Under their previous owner, Harvest Broadcasting Association, the translator received a short-term renewal as part of a consent decree, which called for a license expiration on November 8, 2017. In November 2016, Applications were filed to assign the station to DuPonte and move the station from Vermont to Rhode Island under the AM revitalization 250-mile move opportunity. The renewal application, which should have been filed by July 1, 2017, was never filed. It would not be until 2020 when DuPonte realized that the license had expired 
at which time they filed a renewal application on September 11, 2020, and then they filed a special temporary authority on September 16, 2020, to continue operating facilities under the expired license. In their response to a previous notice of apparent liability, DuPonte stated that they acted in good faith because it was not responsible for the misconduct that led to the previous owner's short-term renewal. The translator provided a public service, DuPonte's record of compliance, that the wrong expiration date showed in CDBS, the broadcast database that was used at the time, the fact that on January 9, 2020, the FCC granted a license to cover of the modification that was filed in 2017, well past the expiration date. And despite the license being expired, the commission continued to assess regulatory fees on the facilities. Taking DuPonte's history of compliance and also due to the remote possibility that there was a discrepancy in the database, the forfeiture was reduced from $7,000 to $5,000. On Wednesday, a forfeiture order was issued to Cotton Communications, permittee of FM translator W273DJ, Millinocket, Maine. In this case, the original construction permit for the translator was granted on July 8, 2018, and by the January 8, 2021 expiration date, the grantee had not filed a license to cover application. On April 5, 2021, the permittee filed a license to cover application that was dismissed on May 17, 2021. On June 17, 2021, the permittee filed a petition for reconsideration stating that the translator was constructed prior to the expiration of the permit. Audio division staff granted a waiver request and reinstated the permit and license application. On September 2, 2021, the Media Bureau issued a notice of of apparent liability that the permittee operated the translator without authorization for three months and proposed a forfeiture of $3,500. On September 19, 2021, the permittee responded that the forfeiture should be reduced or canceled because they were unaware that a license application had to be filed. They were not on the air during the entire three months and that the FCC should notify the station of the violation before issuing the NAL. The FCC upholds the $3,500 NAL, stating it was clear on the permit that a license to cover application must be filed and based on the overall response of the grantee, determined that the station had engaged in unauthorized operation. REC Networks is winding down for the holidays, and part of that is our annual LPFM station inventory. This inventory is used to assure that the data on the official LPFM station directory, lpfm.us, is current. This data is also used to determine the types of LPFM stations there are out there as a part of REC's regulatory advocacy before the FCC. In this year's inventory, we may be seeking out additional information from stations relating to the overall diversity of the LPFM service. More details will follow at the REC website, recnet.com. FCC Today. FCC Today, the podcast is released as news breaks during this holiday season. 
Call or text our comment line at 202-963-0852 or email us at FCCToday at RECnet.com. FCC Today, the podcast, is a production of REC Networks, always on at RECnet.com. I'm Michelle Bradley, SBE certified broadcast technologist, recovering from Moderna's revenge, advising you to get your booster. Stay safe and thanks for listening. REC.